Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. Hi, I'm Avi Havivi. This is Temple Beth Am. And uh, we're uh, hosting, the green team is hosting a talk by um, our uh, very own Temple Beth Am Rabbi Emeritus, Joel Rembaum, uh, who's for a Rabbi Emeritus, he's still a pretty hardworking guy. Um, he's on faculty at the um, Frankel School, the Masorti Rabbinical School in Germany, and he is the acting rabbi, I think, at uh, Ner Tamid this year. Again, I think. Not your first stint there, I believe. Um, and he's going to be uh, talking this evening about some sources related to Shemitah and the ideas behind them. We'll have some time for Q&A and discussion. Um, Rabbi Schatz has put the source sheet in the chat. Um, I think I will screen share it also so that people who aren't able to open that in the chat will be able to look at the text. Um, just to look ahead for the month of Cheshvan slash October, our sustainability choices topic for the green team at Temple Beth Am is going to be eat less meat. And I'm trying to nail down uh, our speakers and dates, but we're going to have two talks, I believe, one by Rabbi Elliot Dorf, who's going to be talking about um, the Jewish laws and ethics of Tsar Baalei Chaim, um, making sure to not cause animals suffer. We're also going to have a speaker, Melissa Hoffman, from an institution called Farm Forward Jewish Institute Initiative for Animals. I believe she grew up at Temple Beth Am, and some people may know her parents. And she's going to be speaking about the facts of how our uh, chicken, eggs, and uh, meat gets to our plate so that we have a chance to learn more about the animal uh, food chain in the United States. We're going to be having two talks coming up, so keep an eye on the the next Green Team newsletter, which I think will be out uh, in about a week or so. Um, uh, Rabbi Rembaum, I'm going to let you uh, take it over, and I'm going to go ahead and screen share the text. And uh, oh. usual protocol, please keep yourself muted if you're, you know, unwrapping candies or chewing loudly. Um, uh, raise hand if you have something to say, either electronically or wave. And um, there may be some comments or questions in the chat, I will try to keep an eye on them and uh, feed them to Rabbi Rembaum as it seems appropriate. Rabbi Rembaum, take it away. Thank you, Dr. Rabbi, Dr. Habibi. Um, so we're going to, there's four texts. And so uh, Abi and I were talking and um, we're going to pause after each text uh, and the comments on it and then give you an opportunity to ask questions that way so we can sort of organize it better and give you time to ask any questions you may have. So we're going to look, we're going to, the whole purpose behind what I, I'm, I'm trying to get across here is that the, the, the sensitivities of um, caring for the planet and other creatures uh, lie uh, in their very, certain very basic biblical texts and the commentaries on them illuminate uh, the rabbinic perspectives on it. And it's I, I find it fascinating because it, it really, to me, shows how fundamental uh, the, the, the whole notion of uh, Shmirata Olam, caring for the world, is embedded within our tradition. 
And uh, ultimately, we will be taken back to the beginning chapters of, of Genesis. Uh, but I want to begin first with the Shemitah law and to see how it's expressed. And then uh, read, and that's, that's Leviticus chapter 25. And then read in Leviticus chapter 26, uh, the consequences for not following Shemitah. Uh, and I find that to be very interesting because it uh, makes uh, some statements about uh, how um, how the, the world uh, and human events and human activity is tied in with the need to uh, maintain nature properly. So here we are uh, in chapter 25 of Leviticus and... Um, one second, I just did something I didn't want to do. That's better. Okay. Um, and let me just read and then we'll tra- translate. The, there are translations as you can see. Most of the, many of the commentaries are translated, uh, but there are some that are in Hebrew and I will be happy to, you know, read and translate them for you. Okay. Uh, all right. So we begin. God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Okay, Dabero Bene Israel. All right, I'll look at read the English. Speak to the Israelite people and say to them, When you enter the land that I assigned you, the land shall observe a Sabbath of the Lord. Okay. Shabbat Ladonai. Uh keep that in mind because we're going to take a look at that in just a few more sentences. Okay. Then, uh, you know, have, uh, let me have, you know, I'll read it because it, I can just do it more quickly. Okay, six years you may sow your field, six years you may prune your vineyard and gather in the yield. Okay, so um, this whole notion then is very clearly you can do, you know, prepare and do the, uh, what is necessary for, for a harvest, but on the seventh, uh, you, 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 you have six years in which you can do it, right? And where it says, uh, the yield, uh, in the Hebrew, you'll notice that is a feminine form at the end of verse three. The yield, not, it's not the yield of either of the, uh, previous nouns in the, in the statement there. That noun is a, that's a feminine noun. The words that came before it were uh, the kerem and, uh, the, uh, sadeh, which are masculine. And this is a feminine. So I think what it's saying that the, the, uh, that is referring to the eretz, to the land, which is feminine. Uh, so, uh, in other words, but it is a general concluding statement. You can, you can eat what you, what you prepare, what you, Harvest and eat it and enjoy it. Okay. But then in the seventh year, now here we go. Shabbat Shabbaton. Shabbat Shabbaton. Yehia Laaretz Shabbat Ladonai. The seventh year shall be a Sabbath of complete rest. Uh, some consider, use the word ceasing. I'll get to that in a minute. A Sabbath of the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. Okay. So you can't do any of that in the seventh year. To me, the key words here, you can see some of them are bolded. Shabbat Shabbaton, right? And Shabbat Ladonai. Shabbat Shabbaton is a term that is used 
uh, a few times. By the way, all of these texts and the, the term Shabbat Shabbaton, that word Shabbaton is only used in what we call the P, the priestly tradition. So all of these documents, and you'll see where they're from, are from that tradition. So it's not surprising. But Shabbat Shabbaton, if you look into a biblical concordance, uh, which I have right here, I just Xerox the sheet. And what is interesting is that term is used only with regard to three uh, events in the calendar. Shabbat, the seventh day, Yom Kippur, and Shemitah. Shabbat, Shabbat, that, that, those two words put together. Shabbaton is used for certain other holidays, but not Shabbat Shabbaton. What is that saying? Uh, I'm suggesting is I'm saying this puts Shemitah in the, in the same category as the holiest days in our calendar, right? There's no question that Shabbat and Yom Kippur are at the highest level of sanctity. And here we are, the seventh year is at that same level. So this, the, the land resting during that seventh year, it is the equivalent of what we do by ceasing from labor on Rosh Hashanah, sorry, on Yom Kippur and on Shabbat. That's the whole point. So that's very important. The word Shabbat, uh, I like the term ceasing better than rest, because in fact, Shabbat means to cease, to, z- to desist from doing something. Okay? Uh, so it says, Shav- God, Shabbat Bayinafash. Right? He ceased and he uh, sort of revived his soul, if you will. Okay? All right, so there's two separate concepts there. So Shabbat means to cease, it's a cessation. That's that's the key point. All right, so the point then that I'm making here is that we now see that the, the degree to which Shemitah is at a high level of sanctity and seriousness, all right, it's serious. Now, uh, you know, one can look at the whole process of Shemitah in antiquity as really being a kind of, you know, we do that today with crop rotations, where you actually allow parts of a farm to rest, to re- regain their nutrients, uh, you know, naturally. And then you begin to start all, then you can use it uh, at some point in the near future. So this, I think, is based upon that principle. But you've got to keep in mind also that the Israelites, this is, you're talking agriculture here. This is a foundation of ancient Israelite economy. This is a big deal. Okay. And, and to tell people for a year, you cannot farm your land. That's, that's a real big deal. Okay. Now, we're, what we read after this is it doesn't mean that you starve. Okay. What it says is you, and, and, and by the way, in the Torah, it says, don't worry. God will make sure that you have abundant harvests. So you can store things. But then it goes on. Now we're continuing inside the text. The next line, it says, uh, you shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the graves, etc., the grapes, etc. Complete rest. So that means a, um, that, that means the, this is the aftergrowth of the harvest. 
Anything that is from the previous year that you've harvested, you can't touch. But look at the next line. You may eat whatever the land during its sabbatical year will produce. In other words, on its own, because it will drop seeds on its own, right? And if the land is strong, if the, if the, if the, uh, if the, uh, uh, plants are strong, they will have some level of, of reproduction of fruit that you can eat because it's on its own, right? It's, it's on its own, but you cannot do anything to enhance that. And your cattle can eat its yield as well. All right. So, that's the, so the, the basically what I'm, what I'm wanting you to look at here is that the, the, the significance, the holiness of the Shemitah year as set forth in this chapter. Now we have the Sforno commentary. Sforno was from Italy. Uh, he lived in the 16th century. Very interesting man because, and I say this because we have a couple of MDs with us on the screen there. Uh, he was a uh, Sforno was in addition to a biblical commentator, he was a philosopher and a physician. And not surprising, he studied Rambam a lot and he's influenced by Maimonides. So he's uh, 16th century Italy. Um, and uh, so here's what he says. You have to refrain totally from working the land, including preparatory work mentioned in detail by our sages. And he gives a source, Avodah Zarah uh, 50, uh, Daf Nun. But then he says, Shabbat, this is interesting, Shabbat Ladonai, to seek out the Lord in some manner. Okay? Now, the editor of the translation, this is Sephoria, had this nice little cute comment, okay, not to play golf. In other words, the idea of, of not working the farm is not supposed to allow you time to go play golf. It's a day on which you're supposed to spend time strengthening your relationship with God, giving you time to do spiritual work uh, while you're not doing physical work. And in the sense, isn't that what Shabbat is about? So this really is, is modeled on the Sabbath itself with the same sanctity as the Shabbat. Okay, so that's the foundational text. And he comments, and he additions, and he questions, please. Yes, Mike. Yes, I noticed that it talks about uh, planting, harvesting, and pruning. It doesn't say anything about irrigation. Yeah. Uh, w- my understanding is that you are permitted to irrigate, uh, if it sp- specifically if it's necessary in order for the plant to survive. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Right. Yeah? Yes, okay. of course. I mean, but also remember, irrigation is a relatively, you know, I don't know what the nature of irrigation back then was. I'm sure they had wells, you know, and and, and they could draw water up from wells. But a lot of it, remember, in, in early biblical times was based on, the, you know, the collection of rainfall, things like that. And rainfall. Um, so, yeah, but they had cisterns. There's no question about that. They probably devised certain ways of, of, you know, of, of allowing water to flow into the gardens. But, uh, yeah, that's a, that is not mentioned, and that's exactly the point. You don't want to kill off the plants, right? You're not obligated to do that because the point would be that they're around the, those that remain. You know, obviously, there's, I don't know how 
all these different plants operate. Some of them probably leave seeds in the ground that can be renewed. Okay. And that's probably what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Some of them, it would appear then, since you have to plant seeds every year, that, you know, you have to, when you till the soil, you uproot the old stuff and make room for the new, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be planting seeds. Okay, so what is the the point is what is there? You don't have to if if if, if there are viable plants still around, yeah, you can water them, and you. But again, you may want to water the land anyway, so to allow whatever seeds have naturally fallen uh, to be able to grow as well. Okay. Okay. Anybody else? Yes. Um, just a quick comment. It's interesting, uh, Sforno. Um, it's interesting that he comments on Shabbat Lashem. Because it is a little bit puzzling. What does that mean? It's a Sabbath for God. Does God need it for some reason? Or what does it do for God? So he gives an explanation of that, which is that it, you are the one who ceases, but you're supposed to do something godly while you're ceasing. And I'm thinking also of, you know, the modern thing that we have based on this, which is the sabbatical, like for workers and generally like people who take sabbaticals, the understanding is that they're not just lying on the beach. You know, they got the year off because they worked for six years, but they're supposed to take the time to do the kinds of things that they didn't have time to do when they were in the regular hustle and bustle of working. Right. That's right. And not playing golf. They might play some golf, but but they're supposed to be, you know, <laughs> doing some continuing education or writing right. an article or sure. working on new skill, job skills or something like something different that they didn't get to do while they're working. Exactly. Correct. And I mean, the fact is that rabbis get sabbaticals, hopefully, for that very purpose. I mean, I studied Kabbalah in my sabbaticals or did writing, you know, did research on my Bible projects or other things. And I allowed my, I, I could grow. There's no question. I always came back, you know, enriched. Uh, and I, you know, Mike Harris can tell you, after I studied Kabbalah, I had a whole class. On, I became the big expert on Kabbalah, not, but we, but enough to be able to teach people, you know, to share with people what I have learned and what the books tell us, get some good books with good commentaries. Uh, you know, you can do so that yeah, absolutely. Rabbi Click Rabbi Clickfeld came back meditating right. and singing Nigunim from his Exactly. Yes, exactly. And that's what it's exactly what it should be. Very good. Thank you. Well spoken, sir. All right. Now let's go to Elitovics twenty six. All right. So now we're really in the midst of a very just got a scroll. There you go. We're in the midst of a very challenging part of Vayikra. These are the curses, uh, you know, that both Devarim and Vayikra end their presentation of covenant law with the, with the blessings and the curses. So here's some of this. Are, these are the curses that will befall the people if they fail to follow the covenant. And look what we find. Okay. All right. So. And you, I will scatter among the nations. Okay. All right. And I will unsheath the sword against you. Your land shall become a desolation and your cities a ruin. Oh my. Okay. But here's the kicker. Then the land shall make up for its Sabbath years throughout the time that it is desolate. 
and you are in the land of your enemies, then shall the land rest and make up for its Sabbath years. Okay? And then it's repeated in verse 35. Throughout the time that it is desolate, it shall observe the rest. It did not observe in your Sabbath years while you were dwelling upon it. Okay? In other words, they, the people, the Israelites, through their neglect of Shemitah, that was part of the reason why they were sent into exile. It wasn't simply because it, it was violating God's code, for sure, but also they violated the rights of the land. And therefore, they have to be out of the country so that the land can rest. And this interesting word, uh, you know, uh, hirtzat, one second. Yeah. Et shabtoteha. That, that verb, uh, reish sadihe in this context means to redeem or actually to be pay back, to pay back. Uh, it, it's, it's pay back. It's, uh, it's, uh, rest or it pays back God, so to speak, the land's obligation to God to, re- to have rested. But it's a sense of, of, of a restorative act. It's, it's and, and the land, you know, it, it, you get it. I don't have to belabor the point. This is a very powerful statement. If you think about the significance of this. Okay. And I think these are, this is a verse that is often overlooked because of the, we read all these bad, the, the bad things that are going to happen to the people you know, plagues and enemies and this and that. And then these ver- these verses are tucked in here. And it's it's to me when you know when, when I first noticed this sure. But I it was a very just really struck me. Well that's the point, you see? Human action results in a corruption of the land, in a destruction of the land, right? Because of our neglect to take care of the land, right? The land has, we have got the, part of our punishment is getting us out of there so it can repair itself from the damage that we did by neglect. Sound familiar? I mean, there are a lot of people today who, you know, tell us that, you know, the world will survive without us, okay? And, you know, in the end, our... We will be, we will suffer the consequences and our, our not being around may actually be good for the land because, you know, it will be able to be, be, become its natural self. So, but I'm, you know, I'm not a, I'm not an expert in the field and I can't comment on that, but I'm sure we've all heard that. But that's what this is saying. It's prescient. It really is prescient. And what I love here is the connection between human activity and uh you know what the uh how and and the and the fate of the land shall we say it's to me this is very clear that's why i i really felt we had to do this okay so now we're going to now look at some other commentaries so here's ibn ezra on verse 34 so it says her sabbaths it's not only the sabbatical years but it's also and the Jubilee, the 50th year as well, which is the restoration of land. That's interesting. 
the Jubilee is not, not simply a sabbatical. It's, it's, it's a restoration of land to its former owners. So this is actually a human related thing, ownership of the land. And the whole concept of the restoration was to prevent families to following in, falling into abject poverty. Uh, so that they needed to, this way they get their land back and the, the owners have had plenty of time to reap harvests and to reap the benefits. Now it goes back to the other family. We're not actually sure whether the, 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 the were, were followed. All right. There's no concrete evidence, uh, that, that it was actually, we don't know. We just don't know. Shemitah we know was. It's still followed today, as you know, in Eretz Yisrael. And these are only relating to Eretz Yisrael, by the way. But it's an interesting, it's anyway. Um, and here it says, similarly, it is written, the land had paid her Sabbaths. Okay. This is the whole point. All right. Now, again, uh, Sforno, uh, Az Tirzahaaretz, the debt owed it will be paid, he says. The debt that is owed, the land will be paid. Okay. Shabtoteha, he says he follows Ibn Ezra here, the Shemitah and Yovel years, which had not been observed. And then he says the following. It's interesting. Chronicles two mentions that the 70 years of exile correspond to the years referred to. Remember, 70 is 10 times seven, right? So it's the Shemitah cycles. That's what he, he's suggesting to us. And finally, you have the Aderet Eliyahu. Aderet Eliyahu is a biblical commentary by Elijah, the Vilna Gaon, the great Vilna Gaon, of, uh, who lived, of course, in Poland, uh, in Lithuania, actually. Uh, he lived in the town of Vilna. That's why he's called the Vilna Gaon. It's not a brilliant observation. Anyway, but, you know, he's a giant. This man is a giant in his field. Uh, comments on Talmud, on Bible, um, and, and he's, he apparently was a mathematician, uh, but he was all, he was a arch, an arch enemy, you know, of the Hasidim. He was a leading figure in, of the Mitnagdim, the people who opposed the Hasidic movement in its early years. And he lived in the uh, 18th century. And, uh, but he, he uh, also, ironically, was an expert in Kabbalah. He read the Zohar. He knew the Zohar backwards and forwards. It was almost as if he was saying, know thine enemy, because, you know, Hasidut is influenced by Kabbalah. So, but it's amazing. Guy was a genius. Not apparently a very nice guy, though, but well, sometimes you can't help that. All right, so here's what he said. So, so, Ani amarti lachem shetihiyu zorim sheish umashmitim Okay, I told you that you plant for six years and have Shemitah for one year so that you should know that the land belongs to me. But you didn't do that. Okay, interesting now. So you will be exiled from it, and she will will make up for all the Shemitot 
that she owes me, right? Shenemar Aztir Tzahar, it's a chapter Teha, call him a Hishama, Tishbot. Okay? Tishbot. Um, so, because then she will, she will pay me. That's what he's saying. So it's ultimately, it's not just an insult to the land. It's an insult to God. It's an insult to God. Because God has a system here, how he wants his land to operate. And what right do you, who are working the land, have to tell him or to violate the principles on the basis of which he runs his land? Okay? So when it says, HaShamayim Shamaim Ladonai, Fa'aris Natanli Bnei Adam, right? The heavens is God's and the land he gave to people. It doesn't mean the people have the right to do whatever they want. Okay? That you can see it right here. People are not supposed to do whatever they want to the land. They have to follow certain basic standards and principles. In our case, from the perspective of Torah, what God says to do with the land. Because it's not, it's not ours. He gave it to us. What? We'll see what it means in a minute. But he gave it to us with conditions, not unconditionally. And that's why, again, I find this whole notion of the holiness of this whole process. Remember, holiness means it's engaged with the essential essence of God. Right? The essential essence of God. And that's what's going on here. You're, this is godly stuff. It's godly stuff. Okay? Rabbi Rambo? Yes. It's time to ask questions. Barrett, go ahead. Unmute. 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 It was not. Okay. Um, I'm actually not going to ask a question, but have a suggestion on the, on the writings, uh, a little bit in grammar, instead of saying, which a little bit doesn't make sense if you truly understand the words, but I would like to suggest to put it in a nifal form in passive which means that the land uh, will be accepting, will be getting all the Shabbatot, all the Shemitah that she owned, that we own to the Shabbat. So it's the same letters, but if you change the vowels a little bit, you change it to a different form. Right, that makes sense, but I'm reading now from verse 34. It says, Az tirtse ha'aret. Yeah, which makes no sense. If you okay. say teratse ha'aret, it's uh, the same thing. I would have thought the same thing, right. But that's why I think they're thinking that, remember, there's two different interpretations here. Maybe that's what motivated this last one. If it's tirtse, that means it owns, she's paying the land is paying God back. That's what he says. Shehi chayavet li. You see, that's what the, and he probably picks up on that. The other commentators were fixing, fitting more with what you were saying. But he, okay. I think, he, he was dafka looking at the, at the call, the pa'al form there. Right? In yeah, a way. That's, that's the way, that's the nikud. Then he could, but it, you can change it and then it makes sense. I agree. But, no, no, no. I, I'm saying what you say is what the other commentators said. Yes. Yes. 
That's why, if you heard me, I even got a little confused myself because when I was reading it, I was saying, wait a second, something's not right here. Correct. Yeah. Good observation. Yeah. That's correct. Yes. Mike Harris. Uh, I know, I noticed from what you were saying that, that the sabbatical is for God's benefit, it seems to be. But I see that the relationship between the sabbatical year and the Jubilee year is interesting because that, that ensures that in the year that the, that the land goes back to the prior owner, it goes back in its refreshed form. It's immediately yes. after a, a Shemitah year. That's correct. Yes, that's right. Well, I said before that the, the bringing the land, giving the land back is more of an ethical, uh, it, it's human, human stuff, right? Not human God, mm. right? And, and you're right. Absolutely. That's a, absolutely correct. Yes. I think we have to say, as is many cases in, in, in our tradition, the, the, the dual vector of the vertical and the horizontal operates simultaneously. Because in the end, even the following, the observance of the Shemitah in, set, in a certain sense is to the advantage of the farmer because he'll get a refreshed land, right? Mm-hmm. And if he keeps working it, he could deplete the land to the point where it doesn't work for him anymore. So, I mean, either way, the benefits go both ways, right? And I think the, the cumulative effect of this is that, indeed, that's the way it should be viewed. Both very Okay, now we're going to go back to some of the sources that actually define what our obligations to the land are. All right, and then here's one that I've used in, the, in certain instances, and a lot of people, it, it, it seems to have not been picked up that much, although we're going to see in a moment that some of the commentators say some things similar to what I was looking at. All right, so now we're going to Genesis chapter 1, right? The creation of the human being. All right, so the humans are created, man and woman, right? That's verses 26, 27. And now God says, are you with me? All right, page, the second page, Genesis 1, 28. Elohim, God bless him and said, Pru urvu umiluata arts vikishuha, Okay, be fruitful and multiply, fill the land, uh, take, get, uh, you know, rule it, conquer, you could say, but take dominion over it and rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and all the, the land, the animals that crawl on the land. Okay. Okay. So that's the human beings are given this, this privilege. Okay. And my interpretation, by the way, is in the context of this statement in, in, in Genesis chapter one, being created in the image of God means just that. Create other human beings and create a mass of people large enough to be able to rule all the other creatures. Because if you saw up above, the reason why I talk specifically here about the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. They are swarming creatures, right? There's a lot of them. So this whole notion of maintaining and ruling, but we're in the, in the end, in a moment, we're going to see what that actually means. Okay. What is, what is ruling entail? Right. The notion that we can do with it whatever we want is not correct. And that is the point that I want to make now in the next couple of verses. Because what does it say? All right. 
God says, Okay, I'm giving you all grass that grows seeds on the face of the earth and all tree trees that grow fruit and have seeds. They shall be for you to eat, right? So he's talking to the farmers, right? You plant, you plant wheat and barley, you grow figs and pomegranates and dates, right? And you eat, okay? Notice what's missing. No flesh, no meat, no eggs, no cheese. Folks, we were created vegans. That's what it says. Correct? Correct. Okay. Now, all the birds, the uh, all the uh, animals, land animals, and the birds, and everything that crawls, everything that has living spirit in it. They, you guys got all the green grass to eat, and that's the way it should be. That's the way it was. So the animals eat the grass, we get the fruits and the, the grains. And that's it. So what does it have to do with be, with ruling? This is what we have. This is the order we have to maintain. That's the point. This is how the world is going to run. You can't eat from those animals. Not, that's not, that's not the way it was created. We're going to see some interesting comments on how that developed in a moment. Okay. But that's what it says. So humans cannot do whatever they want. We have to maintain that, that order. That's why it's there. That's why it comes right after the rest reference to ruling. You can take care of yourselves, but you got to take care of the animals. Okay. So you can't create farms with grains and fruits that the other animals won't eat. <clears throat> you got to leave land for them to eat too. Okay. So to me, this is a very, to me, a very significant statement about what it means to rule. You follow the prescription that God set forth, as is the same case with Shemitah. This is the law, and this is the way you're going to follow it. Okay, now let's look at some of the commentary. So here's Rashi. Very interesting what he says. So, it's all the beasts on the land, okay? Scripture places cattle and beasts on a level with human beings with regard to food and did not permit Adam to kill any creature and eat its flesh, but all alike were to eat herbs. But in the era of the sons of Noah, when it began, after the flood, he permitted them to eat meat, right? Because it says in Genesis 9, Every moving thing that lives for you may be food, even as the herb that I permitted. The first man, I give you everything. Okay. So it changed after the flood. Uh, one of the reasons is that I think it's the same reason why um, you have to have a pidyon haben. Why does God own all the firstborn? Because God saved them from the 10th plague. Why can Noah, the descendants of Noah, eat the animals? 
because Noah saved them from the flood. So we that's what that's the logic here. Humans gain a right to certain things because they saved certain things. The same way that God got the right to certain things because he saved them. See the parallel? So I think that's what's going on here. But it's only after this that humans can eat. All right, we're not finished with this. We're going to come back to it in a minute, and you're going to figure out in a minute. We'll figure out why it was that um, that, that was done. All right? In fact, this is right here. Here we go. Why are the animals punished along with the humans in the flood? Why could they eat after the flood? Well, I just answered that. Human sin caused animals to become subject to death. That's what he's saying, and that's what the the uh, uh, Hanukkah Torah. Who is the Hanukkah Torah? I didn't know. I had to check it. So I will now tell you. This is, you ready for this? Abraham Yoshua Heschel. Abraham Joshua Heschel. Born 1520. Died 1560. Krakow, Poland. That's the original. The Heschel we know and love is many generations later. I don't know if he's from the same family. He could be, because he did come from a Sith family. And um, the interesting thing is, you know, this guy was a leading rabbinic, leading rabbinic figure in Poland. So that in, in, in Krakow. Okay, that's who this is. Okay. All right. So here's what he says. All right, so of Kodam Hachet, before the sin of eating the fruit. That's where we are, all right? Lohayam mita klalba olam. Afba behemot bechayot. Okay? There was no death at all in the world. Even the animals didn't die. Okay? Kedi'itim midrash yalkut sefer As it is in the the uh, the yalkut uh, shimoni on the book of Job. That's what it says. Rabbanan Amrei, the rabbis say, once Eve, sorry ladies, here she is again, once Eve ate from the fruit of the tree, she fed all the animals and the birds. Okay? Had they not eaten from that, they would have lived forever. Interesting. Because they didn't, there was no death before this. Rabbi Rambam, have you ever heard that Midrash anywhere before about the animals eating from the tree? No. Have you? No. Never have. But apparently, it's in the Yalkut Shimoni on Job. <laughs> I can't say that I read the Yalkut on Job. I'm, it's, I don't even know if I have the Yalkut on Job. Well, I think I know where I can find it, actually. <clears throat> I'll, I'll look and see if I can find it, yes. But it, I'll tell you, I mean, you know, that whole point is, that's, it answers a question, Right. Human beings were the ones who sinned with the eating of the fruit, right? Why should the animals suffer, right? Why the end? They're innocent, okay? The rabbis explain that the force of the sinfulness of the human beings 
not just from eating the fruit, but from the subsequent generations of violence and evil that human beings perpetrated was so powerful that it actually infected the animals as well. Okay. And the animals were not behaving among themselves. That's that, that I've read. That's rabbinic midrash that I'm aware of. Okay. But this is very novel. It takes it all the way back to good old Eve. So I apologize for those of us who, uh, view Eve as being made the bogey person too frequently here. But that's, that's what it says. But the whole point, but you understand the reason for the explanation. It's the same thing that you can ask, why was it that, uh, you know, we read in, in, in Maftir Yonah, in the book of Jonah, who made Teshuvah in Nineveh? Now I'm talking about, right? The Ninevites, right? Jonah goes and says, in, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. So the king says, we are going to, we must repent before God. And they put on sackcloth and ashes, and they repented, and God forgave them because their repentant their penitence was sincere. All right, who who wore the sackcloth and ashes? The humans and the animals. Read it, the animals. So this notion that somehow human sin can infect even animals. Right, who are the, the miasma of the sinfulness is such it's like a disease that 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 gets absorbed into the innocent animals, which shows again the impact of human failure and its impact on innocent creatures. Well, we know that's true, right? We know that's true. How many uh, species on the earth get killed every year because of human activity? Well, here you have it. The principle that human evil is such that it can impact creatures that are not more than merely the humans. So I find this to be, forgetting about Eve and all that stuff, I find it to be very, uh, very telling. Okay. all right, so then, um, well, this, he, Gur Aryeh basically uh, says the, the same thing, so I'm going to skip that. All right, now, the next, the, the, the final Torah verse that we're going to look at is uh, on page three, and this is Genesis chapter two, verse 15. I'm sure you'll recognize it, and there's some very, very nice uh, comments on this, okay? So Vaikah Adonai Elohim et Adam, Vaynichehu began Eden, La Avda Ulishomra. God, Lord God, took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to tend it. By the way, were there any questions on the previous discussion? Because I just okay, all right. So I mean, you're, this is no secret. This is right, and well, the whole point is that's the point. Yes, he can work it. He can benefit from it, but at the same time, he is responsible to take care of it. It's blatant. It's as clear as the nose on my face, right? It's obvious. That's the point. But here's good comments on it. So here's Ibn Ezra, right? Ibn Ezra, Spain, 12th century, the great Ibn Ezra, great commentary, commentator on the Bible and philosopher. So to till it, 
<clears throat> therefore refers to the garden of whose fruit he ate. It was not only after he sinned that he had to eat grass of the ground. In other words, oh, wait, yeah. He ate from the fruit trees in the garden, right? He was allowed to do that. Afterwards, then he had to eat the grass of the ground, interestingly, i.e. make bread out of wheat. Uh, to till it means to water it. To keep it means to guard the garden so that no animals enter therein and befoul it. No animer, animals enter and befoul the garden. Okay, I'm not going to get into descriptions of what this is. It could mean that they, I don't know. I, you know, remember the animals could eat things. They were they were there after God created them, right? But they they could not enjoy the garden. That was just for people. So so Ibn Ezra is saying, right? And they would befoul the garden. All right, keep it clean, right? Don't let it become polluted with animal things, okay? That's what we're told all the time. Stop polluting. Well, there you are, right there. Okay, then, Bahor Shore, also 12th century, uh, one of the radical uh, Pashtanim in the school of Rashi, who took the uh, the reading of the plain meaning of the text, the search of the plain meaning of the text, as opposed to Midrash, uh, really very, very uh, far-fetched. No, that's the wrong term. Far-reaching in his interpretation for a 12th century French uh, uh, commentator. Okay? <clears throat> so so here it means, put the human being to there to work it and to guard it. The land, what, what does he have to take care of? The land in which the, where the garden is. This has to do with maintaining the garden. Maintaining the garden. Okay? Not destroying it. Not abusing it. Maintaining the garden. Okay? Now, very interesting Radak, David Kimchi, Southern France. 13th century. Uh, he's from a very famous, the Kimchiham family were very famous. They were philosophically oriented, uh, very, very astute Bible commentators. <clears throat> the word law of Dar refers to constructive labor, furthering the growth and fruit-bearing capability of the trees, whereas the word Lashomra refers to taking a preventative measures to counter invasion of the garden by predators and other measures to prevent its deterioration, okay? So it's even improving. So you can, you know, improve the productivity of the fruits. This is okay. But you cannot allow the garden to deteriorate in the process. You got to find the balance. Balance, very important. And protect it. Our sages reading into this, this expression also a moral ethical teaching. Understanding the riddle of Da <clears throat> as the dedication to study of God's commandments. Avodah means worship. Study is the form of worship for a philosophically oriented thinker. So therefore, it means this is a form of reverence of God. Okay? Study God's commandments on the basis of which you take care of the land. 
whereas the expression Lashamar refers to carrying out the commandments in practice, carrying them out in practice, study and practice both. And in that way, you will be blessed by a fruitful garden and the garden will be best because its fruit, its, its fruitfulness will be enhanced and protected. Then, um, Al-Sheikh, Al-Sheikh is 16th century and he, uh, is, uh, he, he was born in the Ottoman Empire, ended up in Sfat. He studied with the Ari and, uh, he's among his students was Chaim Vital, disciple of the Ari of, of, of Luria. So this guy was really in, deep into the Kabbalistic, uh, uh, direction of, of the Sfat, Sfat. Uh, in the 16th century. All right, so here, very interesting. We, we brought about the statement of the rabbis. So to, to, worse, to work the land is to, to fulfill positive commandments. To guard it is to fulfill negative commandments. Okay, so they say, Mitzvah asay, yurak shefa elyon, umashke et atzei eden, umatzmichan. By virtue of following the positive commandments, the, um, heavenly abundance will be opened up and it will, in other words, the rains and all the goodness from heaven will come up and will water the garden and cause them to blossom. Okay. Be careful not to violate the negative commandments. Shomerit, and listen to this. Shomra zar. Keep away something strange, something alien that can come in and mix, get in the mix. What is it? Koachatumah. The power of defilement, Bagan, in the garden. By virtue of its relationship to his soul. Now the question is, is it the soul of the garden or the soul of the human? Or both? Doesn't say. But the point is, you've got to keep out defilement from the garden. It's got to be kept pure, pure. Okay, no oil spills in the garden, right? No poisoning of plants or poisoning of us through, you know, pesticides that are put on in irresponsible ways and irresponsible pesticides, okay, and so forth. Don't spoil it. Don't defile it. It's sacred. It's sacred. Okay. Chizkuni, Chizkuni is, this is very interesting. He is from France, 13th century. Has Chizkiyahu ben Manoach, Chizkuni, Chizkiyahu. Um, okay, well that, okay, that's sort of repetitive. Animals would trample it. Protection, protection. Or Chayim, or Chayim is Chayim ben Moshe ibn Attar from Morocco. Uh, early 18th century, a Moroccan and a, a great posek. Okay. So here, 
Very interesting. The use of terms to work and to protect in connection with Gan Eden is perfectly justified. At the same time when God placed Adam in Gan Eden, Adam was able to see how his positive actions contributed to the well-being of the garden. Once he'd been expelled, he was denied the ability to see the results of his activities. We are blind. We just don't see the results of our activities. Interesting, isn't it? Or we choose not to see the results of our own activities. His spiritual part, however, was not denied the chance to accumulate good deeds and eventually see the results in the hereafter. Okay, we got to wait for the hereafter for us to reclaim uh, the benefit of our being able to see certain things, and those are spiritual things. But in the meantime, we are not able to see the results of our mistakes. I would say that applies to a lot of people, unfortunately, right now. That's an editorial comment. Any comments? Questions? Yes. Dr. Ozer, please unmute. I think it's just very interesting telling how all, I mean, the responsibility is really man's. I mean, you know, I mean, um, and all of your texts are um, in order to create this fine balance. We were given the ability to make decisions are the responsibility to, and we screwed up really. But in the, but in the end, it's our responsibility. It's not the animal's responsibility. I mean, and, uh, I think that's very telling and very, uh, uh, well illustrated by what you're saying. And of course, exactly. Right. I remind you, Ozer, remember when God might, here's my favorite trick question. Okay, some of you have heard it before, so maybe you'll remember the answer. Okay, well, this is chapter two of Genesis, right? So uh, remember, God put the man alone, and he says it's not good for the, for, the, for the man to be alone, right? So therefore, God made who? Whom? Whom did God make? Animals. The animals. Thank you, Michael Harris. You remembered. You read the Torah. Not Eve. His first attempt was the animals. To make an Ezer connect, though, an Ozer, right? An Ozer. Right? Interesting. Yes. The animals didn't work. By the way, that shows you that God actually made two mistakes, and he admitted it. And he learned from it, right? He made the man alone. He says, Loto, that's not good, right? And then he made the animals. He says, he didn't find there, didn't find a helpmate. So he finally realizes he's got to take something out of the man and use that to create the woman, and then he'll have a helpmate. Okay, so God learns. This is a good thing. But God screws up occasionally. Okay. All right. Final vision. On this, we're going to end in a very hopeful uh, and beautiful tone. Isaiah chapter 11, the famous prophecy. Yes, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard lie down with the kid, not a child, the kid, you know, baby goat. The calf, the beast of prey, and the fatling together. Fatling is a fat and fat, a fat little animal, with a little boy to herd them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, 
and the lion like the ox shall eat straw. A babe shall play over a viper's hole, and an infant pass his hand over an adder's den. In all my sacred mount, nothing evil or vile shall be done. For the land, and this is talking about Eretz Yisrael, shall be filled with devotion to the Lord as water covers the sea. This is the end of day's vision of Isaiah chapter 11. And it starts, it goes back to where things were before that we ate from the fruit, right? It's back to Gan Eden and even a, a different vision of Gan Eden, right? With children playing amongst all of these animals who are kind and loving to one another. Everybody eats grass. It's harmonious. It's clear. It's clean. It's untrammeled. It's undefiled. It's wonderful. And it was a dream. And so maybe someday the dream will come true. Any questions, comments? Okay. I have a quick comment. I have a quick comment. The Midrash that the animals ate from the fruit of the tree is from Genesis Rabbah 19.5. Oh, really? I, I found that out by doing a Google search, which led me to a Wikipedia article, which cited <laughs> it, saying, saying actually that Eve gave to all the animals to eat. The only one who refused to eat in the Midrash was the phoenix, which is why all other animals die, but the phoenix is reborn from its ashes, according to the Midrash of Genesis Rabbah 19. Wow. Where does that, where does that phoenix arise from the ashes originally come from, though? Is it? It's not that must be an ancient myth of some. I have now we got to check that up on. Ask the ask the Googler Rub. The Googler Rub knows a lot of stuff. Great rabbi. I think he's got a smisher from Hebrew Union College. I'm not sure. No, that was never mind. <laughs> that was Dafkanik. Okay, because we're all conservative rabbis here, you know. So what are we gonna? It's okay. All right. Anyhow, a pleasure, my dear friends. Um, so I, I decided to take this tack because I, I really, I think, I think we have demonstrated that our tradition understands the, the mutuality of these relationships, the need for humans to be caring of all the creatures and the maintaining of balance. We, yes, we can work the land, but at the same time, we have to preserve and protect it and not abuse it and allow it to become defiled, weakened in any way. And we should keep the tuma of carbon and all kinds of pollutants out of the picture altogether. I wish you all a happy Hanukkah, or I would say a happy Mar Cheshvan. You know why it's called Mar Cheshvan? It's Mar means bitter. That's not the original reason, but that's what the rabbis say, because there's no holidays in it. We congregational rabbis, right, Rabbi Shatz, say, Baruch Hashem, no best, holidays. Just best month of the year. Celebration, right? And, and those of us who are not say, oh, I got to work five days a week right. now, every week, five days, five days consecutively. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, On that happy note. Rabbi Rembaum, thank you very much for sharing with us and teaching us this evening. Thank and you. Uh, everyone keep their eyes peeled for more green team talks and classes as we go ahead. Thursday with Rabbi Kleekfeld, right? 
Oh, Rabbi Klickfeld's twice a month lunchtime, uh, Thursday at lunchtime, every other Thursday class is starting this Thursday at noon. And that's probably in the Betham calendar somewhere. Thank yes. you, Rabbi Schatz. Yeah, no problem. Okay, thank you. Okay, Great. good night, all. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.